Disclaimer. The hosts of this podcast, Timothy Patrick and Will Foley, are by no means professionals. However, having lived experience with mental illness themselves, they have gained useful perspectives on common mental health issues that some of us struggle to overcome on a daily basis. By sharing their stories, they hope to create connection. By creating connection, they hope to help you find your purpose. And through purpose, we can all begin to build the foundations for positive mental health. This is the Above Ground Podcast. Are you ready to lace up your boots, throw up your horns, and jump into the pit? Then let's stomp the stigmas of mental illness. It's time for Above Ground Podcast. Now, Will Foley and Timothy Patrick. What is up, everyone? Welcome to another Above Ground Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, TPP. Are you down with TPP? Yeah, you know me. <laughs> What's up, Timmy? How we doing this week, buddy? Uh, you know, we're um, we're trucking along. That's right, we're trucking along, and that's we're on Zoom again. So you know what that means? That means another above ground conversation. And I am so um, pleased and honored to have this gentleman with us this week, Matthew Shapiro, the Associate Director of Public Affairs for NAMI. New York. Matt, thank you so much for being here, man. Oh, of course. Well, Tim, thank you for having me on. I'm really excited to be here and talk with you guys. Ah, dude, awesome. It's, it's awesome. Um, uh, Tim and I were at the NAS, the education conference last year because last year I did my first keynote and uh, you were incredible. incredible. Yeah, it was good, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, whatever. <laughs> We invited you back. I know. That's true. (laughs) That's true. But uh, we wanted to bring Matt on to talk about his story because Matt, Matt has an an awesome story and I've met his wife and they're just good people. And I I wanted him to be, to share his story with all our listeners. And um, I'm just going to let him take it, Matt. You know, how did you come, how did you come to mental health? as far as a profession goes from where you grew up and what happened in between. Yeah. So, wow. Where to start? Um, <laughs> my story is kind of funny in, in a couple of different ways. You know, uh, I, I don't know if I told you this part of my story. So I, I always say mental health fell onto me. I didn't fall onto it. You know, <laughs> my, my mental health journey started when I was three and a half years old and got expelled from preschool for being a, uh, a rambunctious child, you know, put, pushing other kids <laughs> and stuff like that. And, and listen, I, I'm very lucky that I had a mom who said, listen, something here isn't right. He's not a bad kid. He's a very sweet kid. And if there's, there's got to be a reason why he's he's acting out like this. And, and uh, you know, this was the mid late 70s in New York City where there weren't a lot of resources, but I guess being in the city, there were some. And, and she sought them out and got me, you know, the health diagnosed ADHD. I was one of the, the first kids put on Ritalin, I think. I, I think I might have been used as a guinea pig at, at the time. But, you know, here I am over 40 years later still taking it. I mean, it hasn't been consistently over that time. But, you know, it, it's funny. My mom tells a story during that period where um, we were going to see the doctor who was treating me. And... Um, I said to her, we're going to see Dr. Aaron. And she goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And I go, well, is he going to keep me on the little yellow pills? And she says, well, do you want to stay on the little yellow pills? And I said, oh, yes, I, I do. And she's like, why do you feel so strongly? And, she, and I said, well, because when you give me the pills, I could sit and watch, watch Sesame Street. So, wow. you know. You, so yes. you were, was it that bad that you couldn't sit, like, could you not sit still for no, any I mean, given period No, I mean, literally, we, like, you know, like I said, I grew up in an apartment in Manhattan, had like a bookcases. My mom would leave me alone for like a minute. I'd be on top of the bookcases. I mean, she tells these horror <laughs> stories of like trying to take me to the park and stuff and, and running away. I mean, listen, I've gotten lost at the, you know, wandered away got lost at the bronx zoo at niagara falls oh. i mean if there was a place for me to get like you know so definitely uh you know uh, a wandering spirit both mentally and, and physically <laughs> in a lot of different ways and you know fast forward you know i say oh here i am over 40 years later still on the pill but it wasn't a, a straight line of course you know um, I also had learning disabilities and, you know, we're in special ed classes and, and I always, I, I tell this story a lot because I think it really had a, a profound impact on me that around fifth grade when I was still like primarily in special ed classes, they realized that I was really good at things like English and, and social studies that I liked, but not very good at math and science and they like kind of Half had me in the regular classes and half had me in the in the special ed classes. It was such a weird feeling because I never really fit, felt like I fit into either. So, you know, always from a, a very young age, I remember feeling different. You know, obviously having to go to doctors when you're three and a half years old and not really understanding why. I, I remember one very specific memory I, I have of that period is overhearing my mom asking the doctor, is he retarded? Like, uh, remember that the doctor actually said no he's very very intelligent that's his problem is he's very intelligent but you know that that's feeling different and feeling shame I, you know i might not have even known what retarded meant at the time but i knew it wasn't good right and and well it just has a connotation the word itself has a connotation of yeah off putting it's just, yeah it's i very guess that's what word. it is yeah no you're you're right and even a young kid knew that Whatever my mom thought might be going on wasn't good with me. And, and you feel different and, and maybe you felt the shame. And, and that seed that's planted in you really, really grows. And, you know, I remember by like junior high school, even after fifth grade, like I was fully in the regular classes, but I always got like extra time on tests and things like that, which were made to help me. But, you know, by high school, you I was sick of feeling different and, and didn't want all those services and all those things that were there to help me. You know, here I was, that same kid who, who didn't understand the stigma of taking medication, just knew that when I took the medication, I can sit and watch Sesame Street. Now here I was not wanting the services that were designed to help me. And my mom said, okay, you don't want them. I'm not gonna force them on you and, and you know what? She let me fall on my face. And it was the first time of many times I've, I've fallen on my face and, and figured out how to get back up. But, you know, after a, a long and winding journey where I was, for most of my 20s, probably my own worst enemy in, in so many different ways, you know, got back into therapy, got back into treatment, you know, on medication and, and tried other things. You know, it, it didn't right, go right back to Ritalin. I tried, um, for a while which didn't work well for me it got me sick and, and 
Now I take Concerta, which is like a long acting reel, which has worked for me. But again, it wasn't like it was a straight path. There was definitely, I've definitely deviated off that path. And, and like many have, I mean, we say the road to recovery is never straight and smooth. It's, it's bumpy and, and it's windy. And, and, and you know, very interestingly, um, when I was 17 years old, my mom, who had always been my greatest advocate, had a complete nervous breakdown and was uh, diagnosed at the time. They were called manic depression, but yeah. you know, over the years, it's been bipolar disorder, bipolar two, and and most recently, after her most recent hospitalization, I, I think we talked about this last week. You know, uh, she was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. So, you know, even then, I, I remember at the time, you know, they wanted to put her in the hospital but she ended up living with my grandparents in Long Island. They took care of her for a year and, and not being able to tell my friends why my mom wasn't in the house anymore and, and feeling that, that sense of shame. And, and you know, I, I say it all the time. I, I wish we had NAMI. I wish my family had NAMI back then sure, to help sure. us understand what was going on. So it, it's definitely been an interesting journey. Um, and then, as I told you, it was kind of a funny thing how it became a part of my professional life. Um, you know, kind of like like the the, te the the on time tests and those services that were designed to help me. I kind of ran away from it. What what happened was I was working at an environmental organization, which I really liked, and our our associate director at the time became the executive director at NAMI New York State and wanted to bring me along, and I fought her, fought her tooth and nail. I said, no, this issue, it hits too close to home. I'm not going to be comfortable. You know, uh, I've been dealing with this stuff all my life. I don't want to have to deal with it anymore. But thank God she was persistent and, and, and wouldn't take no for an answer because it's really been the biggest blessing of my life. You know, now I've found a career, but I found a community where I can be me and, and, and talk about my issues. And, and I mean, look, I mean, God, if I, you would have told me 15 years ago, I'd be sitting here with two guys talking about our mental health issues in this sort of honest way. I would have said, you're the one who's crazy. So, I mean, right. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. having these opportunities and, and being able, that shame and all that stuff I talked about, like early in our conversation is all gone. You know, I'm an open book at this point. And, and to be given that opportunity is really the greatest blessing of my life. Have you found it to be beneficial I, I, and I know all about the shame part of it. I, my mother was diagnosed with uh, schizoaffective disorder. Like when I was very, very young, I think she was already on medicine by the time I was one or two. Oh, wow. And I just remember the, I remember the plates being thrown. Like she is a very violent streak, mm. but I remember the shame of that growing up. And I, and I also fought the whole mental health issue because I always knew that I had depression, but I, it was the happy go lucky will kind of thing that I just, that's the only way I could keep going was to keep going until yeah. I hit a wall. And Tim, yeah, you've, totally. you've had that similar feeling too, right? About just where you just got to keep going, keep going until you can't go anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, at least for me, I just don't, I don't think, I don't think we knew any better. 
you know, I mean, you, you don't you don't know that there's places out there like NAMI that or uh, or people that can help you, you know, um, you know, point you in the right directions, you know, and, and yeah. So, yeah, definitely. I think we're all somewhat around the same age and, and, and you know, there was nothing. I mean, like I say, having this conversation, sort of, but even to have a podcast, to have any sort of resources where this was, I mean, if you like heard the discussion about mental health, it's kind of like the lens of like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah, or I'm or watching something. it now on Netflix. <laughs> oh, really? The, the, the new one, Ratchet? I haven't watched I, it. We've watched a couple episodes. It's, yeah, well. it's, it's, some of that stuff hits a little too close to home for me. In, well, in that's, some ways. that's exactly it. But, you know, it's sometimes good to see see things like that and realize how far we've come. And I'll right. tell you, I've been at NAMI for 12 years now. And, you know, it, it, it is interesting. You know, NAMI has certainly changed a lot. When I started, it was really more about families and not about peers and, and, and you know, people with lived experience like me. And, and it took a couple of years, honestly, before I, I could even talk about myself. I would talk about my mom's issues and, and you know, hate myself as a family member but I mean it's still kind of ironic that I was in NAMI for a couple of years before I was talking about my own issues you know I think the organization had to change a little bit and and I like to think I was somewhat part of that change and, and you know kind of driving that conversation I don't want to toot my horn but I, I think toot before <laughs> staff people wouldn't talk about it and and I saw the hypocrisy of it and now like it's become a real community and, and you have, you know, I, I think traditionally it's so easy to happen. I mean, we, we, both of us, and I don't know about Tim saying, but, you know, having a parent with mental illness or having a parent, your parent, and, you know, I also have uh, siblings who have mental health issues. You know, last year I, I lost a half brother who had dealt with, uh, you know, mental health issues and addiction issues his whole life. And, and uh, you know, so it's like, when you're in those type of relationships, it's kind of naturally adversarial. Like you're always kind of bopping, banging heads with the person sometimes. And 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 I think that kind of bled over into NAMI in sort of a ways where there was this kind of, it was like family versus the individual sometimes. And now we've kind of flipped it all on its head where we don't talk about families, individuals and providers anymore. We talk about working as a recovery team. So, you know, it's, it's the family member, the individual, and the provider trying to work together with open communication and, 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 and shared goals and all being on the same page. Because we know it takes a village. I mean, listen, even since my mom got sick, there have been times where I've had to pick her up and there are times that she's had to pick me up. And, and you know, that's what family is and that's what recovery is. And, and we all need to work together on this. You know, no one, no one can do it alone and, and you know, if there are people out there who are struggling alone, know that you have, you know, above ground podcasts, you have all these resources, people who are talking about this, you're not alone, you're not going through this alone, you know, I think we all know what it feels like to think that you're going through this alone, but you don't have to feel that way. No, you don't. And actually what Tim and I, Tim and I kind of came up with the phrase struggle buddy, because that's kind <laughs> that's of what, great. that's kind of what we are for each other. And I, I, to me, recovery is fluid because to me, recovery is not like you're never recovered. Recovery right. is constantly is an, is an up a day, you know, pride swallowing siege. 
<laughs> yeah, that's a such a great way to put it. Well, it is. It's because just it when is. you think you have it all under, or you mastered, or under control, that's what comes back and bites you. You know. It's, yes. Like I said, <laughs> I, I, that's a whole decade of my life. That cycle. So you know, oh, I, I totally. You know, it's that. It's like that boomer bust cycle. It, yeah. It's, it's and and you know and again, I, I think pride and and just the inability to admit that you need help, that you need a little bit, just like, you know, again, I just keep going back to me in those services, all those things that were there to help me. And I rejected And Now I look back and think you were just an idiot. Why would you do that? <laughs> but you know, it, it is what it is and it makes you stronger. And, and it does, uh, I'll tell you, you know, battling these things, it does take it your pride and, and, and it does make you do character checks to, and buck up, you know, one of my greatest heroes in this movement is who's somewhat new to this movement, heavyweight champion of the world, Tyson Fury. I, I don't know how much you know of his story. I don't know or, much of his story, but I mean, I know who he is. And right, so real Cliff Notes version. Um, you know, the guy grew up in an interesting culture in, in England, the, the gypsy traveler culture, which, uh, you know, I, I won't get too much into that, but kind of, you know, like I said, gypsies, what people yeah, kind of... Yeah. Yeah, we've seen that on... Gypsy. Right. TLC or whatever channels those yeah exactly on. and he he became the heavyweight champion of the world in a tremendous upset he beat uh, one of the Klitschko brothers and right after had a complete nervous breakdown I mean this is something we talk about all the time too is that sometimes the worst curse you can have is obtaining your goals and obtaining your dreams because it's like what next and he he achieved everything they had achieved to do and, and didn't know really where to go next and and you know, battled depression, battled drug addiction. He ballooned up to over 400 pounds and you know, made several suicide attempts. And one day after almost running his car into a tree, you know, the light went off and said, I, I need to get better. I need this, you know, I'm a fighter. Now I need to fight and, and fight. For nice. my life. And yeah. you know, he, he worked all the way back and, and last December in his but, you know, first big pay-per-view fight in years, he he was winning the whole fight, basically. And then in the 12th round, he got taken down by one of the most brutal shots I've ever seen in my life. I mean, the guy was out cold, but miraculously, he got up. He, he actually, the fight ended up as a draw. He got robbed of the fight. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. the second fight, right? Right, and he, which he did win. Which he won, yeah. Yeah, but the, the, after the fight, he said, you know, if mental illness, if drug addiction, if my desire to kill myself couldn't keep me down, how could one man's punch keep me down? He goes, I ain't get up for me. I got up for everyone who gets knocked down by these stuff. I mean, Ooh. and hearing him talk about this, I'm, I have tears in my, it was one of the most inspirational things I've ever seen in my life. And, and the interview after it, I just, like I get emotional talking about it now to see where this guy was. And, you know, we do a lot of work with Mara Ronaldo, who's the um, boxing announcer for Showtime Sports who covered the fight. And, and you know, he was the, the subject of the great documentary Bipolar Rock and Roller. Yes, that's right. You know, if your listeners haven't seen it, go on YouTube. Showtime has made it available for free. In my opinion, it's the best depiction of what it's like to live with a serious mental illness. I mean, it's amazing what he let 
let these uh, film crews film and document. I mean, him at his worst being dragged into mental hospitals, into psychiatric emergency rooms. But he did an interview with, with Tyson Fury before the fight, where again, just like here we are guys talking about mental health, you have one of the top sports announcers talking to, at the time, he was still the lineal heavyweight champion of the world. You're talking about their mental health. And this is the baddest guy on the planet, you know, six foot eight, whatever he is, and, and talking like he was a little kid and, and, and like what, how small the mental illness and all his demons made him feel it. And he said, if I can overcome that, I can overcome anything. He goes, no one's giving me a shot in this fight. There's no way I'm gonna lose. If mental illness couldn't beat me, nothing could. And and that's been such a motivating factor for me. And and because we've all been knocked down, like you said. I mean, this will knock you on your ass more times than you can count. And and it challenges you to get up. And and you know, there are times, and, and you know this will. I mean, you know it better than I. I think I told you, with all my 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 issues and my problems, thank God. I've never really had real suicidology except for that one experience I told you when I hurt my back and they put me on Lyrica and, and, and almost immediately, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, if you can survive those type of thoughts, I mean, it scared the, you know, what out of me having those feelings. It was the first time as bad as things have been for me, as much as I'd struggle, I'd never have had those thoughts before. And if people can, get back up from those and fight those feelings and fight depression and, and fight the anxiety and the doubts and, and the depression that, that, you know, we're all facing, a lot of people are facing right now, you know, especially people are listening to this conversation who may not have uh, history dealing with mental illness, but the, the events of 2020 have got knocked you down. And, you know, so many people are fighting depression and anxiety right now. You can get back up, you know, we're resilient and, and, and being a part of this community of resilience and, you know, hearing your story, Will, about how you keep fighting and, and, you know, you've told me a little bit of Tim's story, but, you know, to see what you've been able to do and to keep, you know, not letting life or these illnesses knock you down and keep you down and just keep coming up and keep swinging. To me, there's nothing more inspirational than that. And I'm, just so proud to be a part of this community and play a small role in helping people get up and, and, and showing them you don't have to stay down. We're proud to be part of this community too. Um, this community has been very beneficial, but I, I'm curious to know how you keep up though, because I, I, I have to admit I, I'm struggling right now and I have been, I know I said this to you last week when we yeah. met and I've been struggling quite a bit and um my mother's having a hard time and stuff so i just have all this stuff going on and i i sometimes find that I, i'm interested to know how you combat your personal stuff and keep the fire going to keep it just keep it going because there's yeah i mean that's a great question you know I guess it depends on the day, you know, sometimes honestly it's smoke and mirrors and, and you fake it till you make it and, and you, and you push yourself through. Um, you know, I think everyone's been struggling, you know, I think I, I, I told you this, you know, certainly at the start of all of this, I was really struggling. I mean, not sleeping. Uh, I've ever had in the supermarket. 
market because like it was before like masks were mandated and I was the only one like seeing that who wasn't wearing a mask and I was like a sense of fear like I was shaking like it, it was it was it, it's very hard to even describe and this is months later so you know I think everyone one struggling right now I, I I wish I had the right answer you know um I think for me, and just for me, right? Everyone's different. When I'm really struggling, I need to talk about it. I need to let people around me know that I'm struggling. You know, again, I might need that help, that little extra boost, you know, thank God, you know, my wife is very understanding and I can tell her, I don't even know why I'm depressed today, but just, just it's not a good day. Uh, you know, I, I'm really, and you know, and and it's, I think validating what you feel, um, especially now when, when you have all these, I mean, listen, life can be difficult to begin with, right? I mean, every day we, we struggle, especially guys like us, right? I mean, we're always struggling against the doubts in our head. You know, we, we were talking last week, Will, about the, the, the Soundgarden song, um, uh, The Day yeah, I Tried to Live, right? Yeah. Well, up today like any other day, but today the voice was in my head. You know, you never know when you're going to wake up that those days and, you know, it's it's not a good day. And, and you have to realize that. And, and sometimes fighting against it is accepting it, you know, and, and, and realizing it and figuring out what it is that's going to get you through that and, and trying to find things that you can hang on to. You know, it, it's interesting. A couple left few, you know, we're, we're uh, we have our big education conference next weekend, October 23rd and 24th. I'm pretty much single handedly putting that together. Not, you know, it, it's my job. It, it's been really stressful this year. I, I'm not someone, I'm very regimented in a lot of ways and, and don't always deal with radical change very well. And obviously, this <laughs> year everything's been a radical change and, and having to do the conference virtually and, and, all the my anxiety is always it's like it's the what ifs like the negative what ifs you just think about everything that can go wrong not everything that can go right and and so th this has been a struggle for me and and you know do you think and not to cut you towards off, the end of think, august do you think not to cut you off because you kind of got me thinking no no that. do you think that that's something that we always struggle with with mental health with mental health challenges is that that change is very hard or do, have you found that people that even having mental health challenges deal with change a little bit better? Because I know I struggle with that. I've always struggled with that. I struggle with it. Just you know, the change of seasons for Christ's sakes, you know what I yeah. mean? So it's like, so change, like yeah. my schedule gets changed and I get, I get really like tweaked out, but I'm just wondering, yeah. do, you think you know, do you think it's something that we just deal with? that because of our challenges or is that something that you've seen people with mental health challenges actually get over? Um, you know, that's a great question. Um, you know, we have a saying in NAMI sometimes that if you've seen one NAMI, you've seen one NAMI. And, and I think that kind of translates. If you, you've seen one person with a mental health challenge, you've seen one person with a mental health challenge, you know, <laughs> you know, I think for some people, you know, some people who might have more like manic tendencies or, or stuff like that, they might embrace change and, and do like, you I was know, just about to say that and, 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 and things like that. So I, I think, 
You know, it was interesting. Um, a couple, you know, I started my own interview series, Perspectives, and one of the first two people I had on the show were two young women who were just like such incredible role models to me. Uh, uh, Cecilia McGuff and Michelle Hammer, both of them, you know, have schizophrenia, like full-blown schizophrenia and accomplishing amazing things. And, and in the interview, like I, I asked a question very similar to like what you just asked. And they said, you know, it's so funny. People think just because we both have schizophrenia, we, we think alike or we act alike. But other than both of us having schizophrenia, we probably would have had nothing else in common. And, and so, I mean, it's hard and, and it doesn't matter if it affects everybody, but if it affects you, then it's something you need to be aware of and, and figure out how to deal with it and, and, and manage change. And, you know, it's funny, my wife will sometimes joke with me. She'll call me a poo-pooer. Like she'll su su suggest something. I'm like, ah, I don't think so. But she'll force me to do it. And then she goes, nine out of 10 times at the end of the day, I'm like a little kid being like, I love it. How come we never did this before? So, you know, I, I, I think in some ways, a lot of people, mental health issues or not, I, I think are, are we're st stuck in our ways and, and we don't like change. And sometimes you have to embrace it. And again, you know, you have to push yourself and, and, and step out of your comfort zone. And, and I'm lucky enough, I'm able to do it most of the time. And, and you know, but one of the things- I think I that's a part of recovery actually is being able to, um, you know, change. And, you know, because if we get comfortable in our routines and habits, and if those habits don't necessarily serve us, that's just creating, you know what I mean? We're, we're, we're living in that illness instead of trying to do something, you know, to come out of it. Yeah, that's, that's totally right. And, and, you know, like, like Will said, you're never totally going to get out of it, right? So it's, right, it's, right. How do you manage it? You know, one of the things that I'm going to totally butcher this, but like, you know, the 12-step the, the programs, the Alcoholic Anonymous, the Serenity Prayer, you know, knowing the difference between the things that you can change and the things that you can. And, and, and you know, that's such an important thing because sometimes I get like, maybe it's an ADHD thing. I get like very hyper-focused on something and like very laser-focused and things that like really get under my skin and I, I can't let go. And it's like, you know, if you're not going to be really able to change it, you have to let it go. And, and listen, it's so, such easier said than done because it's maybe one of the biggest things I struggle with is being able to let things go. But, you know, w when you do things like that, it's a weight on you. It, it's holding you down. And we keep talking about getting back up when we get knocked down. If, if we're holding on to these weights that are, are keeping us down, you're just doing yourself a disservice. So again, you know, I, I started, I don't even remember the question I was answering before, but just you know, <laughs> finding things that are going to relax is finding things when you're struggling, whether it's walking outside or I was telling the story, so I was really stressed playing the conference and we went away to, to York, Maine for a few days, which is beautiful. And, and, that's when I'm at my most serene. Like, it, it's amazing. Like, my wife will watch me. If I'm sitting by the water, I could sit there for hours. It's probably the only thing I can put, other than you, know, you don't sit at a concert, but like listening to music, I could sit. But something about the water, and, and we were, I was just like very in the zone, and I, I, I picked up these two small rocks, and, and 
I brought them back with me and I said, listen, when, I, when I'm feeling stressed and, and, and feel, because I know these next few weeks are going to be rough playing this conference. It's going to be a bumpy ride. It always is. And I'm going to have to face all this new change and things that, that scare me. Well, when I'm really stressed, I have those rocks to hold on to. And, and that will take me back to where I was. And that's, that's a great it. idea. That, yeah. That's a really good idea, Matt. And I have a yeah, go ahead. I'm no, sorry. I just have a, I have a question on something that you had had said earlier that I'm just I'm dying to to bring up. It's the uh, you had kind of like not wanting the services when you were younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you when you 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 so you got rid of the services? You kind of went into like the mainstream, I guess you would say. Now, did you ever ever go back to them as as a you know a teen or whatever? That's a great question. So. A lot of the time, like when, when I started rejecting those type of things, um, was like really high school, I would say. Um, you know, I remember taking like the untimed tests and stuff in, in junior high and stuff like that. Um, you know, even through college, uh, you know, I'm trying to think like, to be honest, like I'm very lucky um, getting into college. I probably should, you know, not doing great on like you know like I said before that that story I kind of told about like young and like doing really well in in English and social studies but not well I mean I would get like high 90s in English and 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 history and like barely pass my math class and I you know failed a lot of classes in high school because I didn't get those services but you know, I, I wish I could say, oh, I got to college and realized I still need the help. And, and you know, what I did, and this is a kind of a weird thing. Um, I still struggle most like when I have to write, even though I love writing. My my hands, when I'm with like hand write, I have the worst handwriting you've ever seen in your life. Or even when I'm typing, like my my hands can't keep up with my head, so to speak. And, and like a lot of times I'll go back and read what I wrote and I'll skip over like words because I'm just going so fast. So when I got to college, I realized I needed some help. So if it was like the type of test where you had to um, write things out, I would say I needed, you know, I had a doctor who said, you know, he needs extended time for that. But if it was like a multiple choice, um, I wouldn't get the help, but probably still needed that more time because my brain sometimes took long takes longer to process things or it did at the time especially since i wasn't on medication at that time i wonder if i was still on my medication how if things would have been different so so you would you say that you know obviously for for people that do need those type of services would you'd recommend that they you know either seek them out or if they have them you know work with them yeah, definitely. I mean, if something is there to help you embrace it, you know, and sometimes we're guys too, and, and we're kind of old school, to, we're asking for help is really hard. You know, um, I, I remember we were at the, the Dustin Mealy concert this year, well, and they, it was like the Beatles night. And I remember, you know, getting up and it kind of, I just heard the song, I didn't even plan it. Like someone had just played the song Help before, um, yeah, before you spoke, right before I spoke. And I got up and I go, you know, it's like the perfect intro because it's one of my favorite songs that people don't realize that song sounds so simple, but asking for help is like the hardest thing for so many people to do. 
And, and, and you know, it, to get back to the question, Tim, a lot of the times you don't have to help. They, they, you're, once you're identified and people try to give you the help, you know, so our pride gets in the way and, and we only we want to reject that and think we can do it on our own. But you know what? Like I said, you know, my biggest thing was always feeling different. You know, from that time I was three and a half years old to feeling different. Well, I've come to figure out we're all different, right? There, there yeah. is no normal. And, and if you're so worried that you're going to be different, that you're really hurting yourself, embrace your differences and talk, talk about it, you know. And if someone says, hey, why are you getting extended time on a test? That's not fair. It, that's a learning opportunity. And, and that's an opportunity to, to bring awareness about these issues and explain how people are struggling. Because, you know, I think if a lot of people see me, they, I'm kind of a, a big outgoing guy. Uh, you know, I'm a real friendly guy. But, you know, inside... That's not most of the time how I feel. And, and mm -hmm. it, it's a weird thing. And, and you have to understand who you are and that you are different and, and to explain your differences. Again, I mean, what we're doing here, it's so important because again, it just gets to that point. No one should have to feel this way alone, like that you're so different or you're something's wrong with you because you're different. We're all right. different. We all have our stuff, you know. We talk about how one in four people are going to be diagnosed, or one in five people are going to be diagnosed with a mental health issue. That that may or may not be true. I think that number is low, but whatever. A hundred percent of us are going to deal with mental health challenges. We're all going to have doubt at some time. We're all going to have anxiety. We're all going to have grief. We're all going to have bouts with depression. That doesn't make you weak. That you know. And again, I, you know, I think it's something Michelle Obama said. Seeking help is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength and, and being able to admit that, you, that you're different and you need the help and, and get the help you need to help you become the best you can be. Because in the end, who are you really punishing but yourself? And it's, it sounds so easy. Like, it sounds so cheesy. Like me saying it now, like hearing, I'm like, wow, oh, that sounds really cheesy. But I know it's true because I've lived it, you know, yeah. my war, own worst enemy for what, you know, probably more than half of my life, I was my own worst enemy. Yeah, <laughs> hands up, I'm, I'm sure most, yeah, right. So it's, you know, it is what it is. But if, if, if someone tries to help you, take the help. If, if, if it's a friend, if it's a, what, what, how do you say, but, what buddy? Struggle, Struggle buddy. buddy. Struggle buddy, yeah, you know, again, and, and a lot of times I think, I've become really good. Like, I think I'm very empathetic. I can see it in others. And, and, you know, I don't care anymore. I'll tell someone, are you okay? You don't seem okay. Like, you know, when, when this, um, when this all started, you know, we were still really socially distant, like, you know, and we were doing like zoom calls with the friends and everything. Like one of my friends said something very small and there must've been like, like 12 of us on the call and I, I picked up on it and I texted her right after I had lit I heard what you said are you okay and and she just called me back and was like you know thank you I'm not and again maybe it's sometimes easier for women to say no I'm not but you know again reach out your hand if you know what it's like to hurt and what what anguish looks like and, and you can tell we, we've all been through it you know you know, when I when I when I saw you last week, I could tell you weren't the same. Well, I had seen 
a few weeks ago. I think part of it, you were nervous with the performance. It meant so much to you. But, you know, we sat and we talked. We we sat there at the side of the studio and, and we had an honest conversation. And, and you know, I, I reached out my hand. I said, listen, talk. And you don't really have to say much. Just listen and be a friend. But if someone's willing to give you their ear or give you their hand, take it. Take it. I think, I, I think, I think there's also like, um, I guess two sides to that coin where it's also um, like you, you kind of mentioned, you know uh, you know, if, if say, if you reached out to somebody, it's also, we have that responsibility also to, to, to tell, you know, the person that's asking, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm not okay. Right. You know, we talk about this all the time and, and especially when this, this whole pandemic started, like, the most basic question we ask people every day and don't even think about, like you first see someone in the morning, how are you today, right? It's this really like this dance that we do. We're, we're programmed to ask people how they are and the respondents kind of programmed to say, oh, I'm okay, not even thinking. And, and you know, how many people are prepared too when someone says, when you ask if, <laughs> if you are okay, if they say you're not okay, if that response is, they're not okay. I, I do that. I do that quite frequently, actually, just to see people's responses. And some of them don't even catch it. And they're just like, okay, have a good day. Like they're in that like mode. Yeah. Because you're so programmed to do right. that, like that thing. And, 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 you know, like I knew you know, last week when I was, I was talking to Will that when I asked him, you okay, I might not get the answer I want to hear. And, and that's okay. And, 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 you know, when you ask that question, you have to be prepared for that. But I think maybe that's starting to change a little bit because of the pandemic. So I think, you know, when I would do my, my show, especially when we were at like the heart of the pandemic and you would ask people how you are, that's not that same question of, oh, you see your coworker at 9 a.m. in the morning or you see a cashier or whatever and you ask how you are. You're really asking people, how are you right <laughs> yeah. now? And, and I think now people... This is given, if there's any silver lining in some of this, it's given the people an out in a way to say, no, you know what? It's okay to say I'm not okay. No one's doing okay in this. And, and, and if, as we move forward from all this, I hope we take that with us, that it's okay to be not okay, to remember this. And, and everyone feels vulnerable right now in, in one way or another. And, and to take that vulnerability with us because that's such an important thing. You know, we, we, we keep getting into how the pride gets into the way of a lot of these things and, and being able to be vulnerable with yourself and others, it's a gift to yourself because if you need help and, and you know, whatever that help is, it just might need be that hand to help you up. It, it might be a pat on the back or just that ear to listen to. But be vulnerable with yourself. If if you need help and someone's willing to help you, take it. I mean, I guess it's kind of a very long answer to that original question about the test. But yeah, I mean, that's the best advice I can give anybody. I like it. Wow, that was that was pretty heavy. I just I I like I'm enjoying listening to you just talk about all this stuff. Thank you. I mean, it's it's refreshing to be able to talk about. You know, again. I, I guess I'm known like the person my friend who talks about, but even like this type of thing and, and you know, you get self-reflective on it, it it's helpful. 
you know, there's a reason why people go to therapy and pay people to listen to them, you know, and, and, you know, and that's such an important thing too, you know, if you're lucky enough to have access to mental health services and to therapy, you know, take it because not everyone has that, that luxury. Yes, definitely. And, and, you know, take it where you can get it. And if it's, it's a friend, if it's a spouse, you know, I, I told somebody once, I go, listen, if you really have a hard time talking, try talking to your dog because the dog's not going to judge you. The dog's not going to talk back, but it gets you used to, to getting stuff out. And, and, and it, it's kind of like that weight I was talking about before that we with these self-imposed weights that we put on ourselves. We got to get that stuff out. And if it, you know, if it's talking to the wall that gets you talking or talking to a dog or whatever, start the process of talking and, and, and then find someone you can really talk to, whether it be, professional help or trust your friends and your family and and you know it's okay to be vulnerable it's okay to to ask for help it's again it's a sign of strength and it's, it's so important that people understand that have you so do you notice more resilience now in people that because you've been in this you've been in this segment for a long time 12 years i mean in 12 years a lot has changed so where do you like what is what is this 12 year period been like to see the growth in in just being more open to to mental health and talking about it and and being like ha- have we seen as much change as we think we have or is it smoke and mirrors and it's there really hasn't been as much change as we see because i mean we're we you know we read about it we talk about it it's like this is our 24/7 thing but is it really 24 seven everywhere or is it still really segmented? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. Listen, I'm not the end all be all on this stuff. I don't have all the answers, but through my experience and through that lens of NAMI and that, that 12 years, like you asked, you know, I think other than the, the changes I talked about before, more of like built, going from families to recovery teams, I remember being at my first NAMI education conference 12 years ago, looking around the room and turning to that same ED who brought me over. And I, I remember exactly what I said to her. I go, uh, now I, I kind of get why you brought me over here. We need to do something or this organization is literally going to die out. All the, the people in the room were all well over 60 years old. It was, you know, there's this, I was shocked. And now, I mean, you were—you guys were at our conference last year. We have a whole young adult track and, and, and they're the ones driving these conversations. You know, you and I talked about this last week, you know, next week at our conference, we're honoring Lily Cornell Silver, Chris Cornell's daughter, 20 years old and has taken upon herself to be that resource where people don't have resources. So the biggest change that I've seen is this next generation that's coming up that, that are having these conversations in such a different way. And I, I say it all the time and it really sounds cheesy, but I believe it with all my heart that this is the generation. It's like these high school kids and these college kids, especially now after going through COVID and you asked about resiliency, you know, I, I think this is probably gonna be the most resilient generation of children and, and young adults and adolescents that you're ever gonna see. They've had to face challenges that none of us have faced. But even before that, they were talking about their mental health in ways that, you know, wasn't being talked about when I was in high school. You know, 
it, it's funny. I, I think about like my misfit band of friends in high school who would like hang out in like the stairwell and, and whatever. We all had issues, and and you know. We actually talked about it though. We just knew we were like misanthropes or whatever. And then, you know, like the weird kids, but whatever. But we were all struggling with stuff, but couldn't talk about it. But now I really think those same group of kids who might be, you know, kind of on the outskirts or whatever, you know, they're talking about it. And, and you know, getting back to, to Lily and her show that she's doing, you know, my favorite episode was this episode called The Kids Are All Right, where it was just her and her friends talking about their mental health issues. And it was like, you had young black men talking about it, you know, white people, black, it just, that change and that ability to talk about it. And listen, like I said, the 10, 12 years ago, you wouldn't see, see three white guys sitting around talking about this stuff, let alone three black guys sitting around talking sure. about this stuff. And, and so that's my biggest hope. And I, I think, you know, we, everyone has to be resilient. You know, when I started my show Perspectives, one of the things that I wanted to do was address this pandemic and show no one knows more about resiliency than people who have been challenged by mental health issues. It goes back to my Tyson Fury analogy from the beginning, but we know what it's like to be on a windy road to recovery and not know when the end is in sight and, and what it is to get knocked down and get back up. So to, uh, to me, People living with mental health issues are the poster people for resiliency. Every day could be a struggle. Getting out, simple things, getting out of bed and taking a shower could be a struggle. And, 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 and accomplishing those goals and being resilient, you know, I, I think we're seeing resiliency in a way that we've never seen it before within our movement. And, and we're really leading the way and being able to hopefully show people who maybe not realize they've been challenged by mental health issues that here we are in this pandemic, there's so much that you can learn from people who have been impacted by mental health issues and using the resiliency that they've shown to get through crises in their life. Because we never know when a crisis is gonna pop up again. The, the, the day I tried to live, you never know when that day with the voices in your head or, or those issues are there and, and those days are gonna come and, and we, if we're lucky, most of us have figured out a way to push through it and, and, and figure it out and be resilient. So for us now to, to teach the quote unquote normal people, whatever that is, what it is to be resilient, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I feel like we're turning the tables a little bit. Do you think that the kids, the youth that are driving this movement, do they have like obviously we're it's supposed to be our job to pass things on to the to the generations before that come after us do they do they find value in what we have to say now they probably say not but i think they do i mean i don't know you know that's a great question i somehow you you have to ask them but you know again let's just use someone like lily for example you know maybe if she only used people of her generation on her show and say look here we are, this young generation, we're talking about mental health, we know what's going on, you know, we control our destiny, whatever it might be, then that would be a very different show than what she's actually doing and relying on people who have been facing these issues for a long time, whether it be providers or, or people living with issues. It, it kind of helps in some of those people she's dealing with are, um, you know, celebrities, people like sure, Eddie like Vedder and, and Duff McKagan and stuff. But again, 
you know, when I was when I was at Misanthrop in in, in high school, junior high school, there were no be- bigger badasses on the planet than Guns and Roses. You know, they were like, you know, and, and to hear Duff McKagan now talk about all these issues, and now you go back and he didn't say this on the show, but you realize like, like especially like during the early '90s when Axl Rose was, you know, kind of this poster boy, like bad boy, but he probably was struggling with a lot of issues. I've gone back and read books about, but again, he wasn't talking about, people were talking about him and it wasn't coming from him, but you have people like Eddie Vedder or, or Duff McKagan, you know, people we've looked up to for so long saying, I'm not okay either. For me, I mean, when I was really struggling in high school with a lot of things, for me, like Bruce Springsteen was my kind of beacon. And, and you know, to hear Bruce talk about his battles of depression, you know, he comes across as like the most confident person. He's the boss, for God's sake. His name is, is the, he's the boss. It's right. Like, I mean, he's the guy who can command, like, have 80,000 people in a stadium in the palm of your hand. And, and you know, for him to feel those doubts and those, those struggles, you know, in, in some ways it validates, you know, I like to lean on people who, who have been through the journey, right? So it, it, to answer your question, you know, for me, if someone has walked that path, I want to know how they created that path. And I hope that's how that generation looks at us. You know, we've all made mistakes, right? I mean, I've, I've talked about the mistakes that I've made and, and I'm sure we could talk about the ones that you've made, but you know, if others can learn from those mistakes, then those mistakes weren't made in vain. So I hope they are, and I think they are. And, and you know, um, I know a lot of the young adults we work with ask a lot of questions and want to learn. They don't think they have all the answers. And, and But the one answer they have is they know they're struggling and they know they can talk about it. So I say it all the time. They're so ahead of the curve, way more ahead of the curve than I was at their age. I can tell you that. Yeah, I know I wasn't talking about a lot of this stuff. And no, but you know, it's interesting. You found an outlet for yourself through music, right? And, and you know, absolutely, absolutely. But even then, I still wasn't like a lot of that stuff hadn't filtered into the music. It's taken me a long time to actually like to get to the point of where I was last year at Education Conference to do that keynote. Those two songs that I wrote, it took me a long time to just get to the point of being able to put into words how bad I was feeling. I was always good at picking out other people and I can tell a story, but I, to talk about myself was, a, was a little bit of getting used to. Sure. It's hard putting yourself out there. I mean, listen, you know, it, it was interesting in, in that Eddie Vedder interview. One thing that he said to her that I thought was really interesting. He's like, you know, I, I forgot even how it came up. It's like, you know, guys like me are a little different, but guys like your dad, guys like Lane Stanley, guys like Kurt Cobin, they weren't playing the part. They weren't deciding, I'm going to write a, a sad song today. Right. They that were, was their they life. That right? was their life, right. You know, and, and, and that was, you know, it's sad. That we've, it's hard to imagine we've lost all of those guys. You know, these guys who in some ways were the first to talk about these things and, and you know, to put it out there. And I think that's why so many people, you know, first really identified with Kurt Cobain. You know, he was talking about, what a lot of us were feeling, even if we didn't totally realize we were feeling it. And and you and I talked about this and, and something I, I want to, you know, for her personally, you know, she was lucky enough to have a father who had struggled with these things and, and guide her through, this is what a panic attack is. You're going to get through it. And, and when that person who guides you, um, you know, succumbs to it, 
how she got up and kept going is just beyond me. I mean, I, I can't imagine. And, and you know, I, we know what it felt like when we lost Chris Cornell. To, to us, it's a guy who kind of represented what we what we felt and, and, and put into song, you know, a lot of the things that we felt. But losing him was to us was sad, but that's her, you know, not just her dad, but her mentor. And, and you know, it's, uh, we need to lean on people like that. And, and when you lose them, it, it's hard, you know, because a lot of times those were our friends, like for people like us, when we, when we couldn't talk about those things, at least we could listen to them and, and learn from those type of people. And, and in no way am I saying we're any, anywhere in that type of company, but if we could lead the way a little bit for people, I, I hope they're following it. And, and, you know, we, we follow people and we hope people follow us. And, and that's really what I hope our community is. That's what Matt, you, I think that's what you set out to do. And I think that's what you hope to set out to do because I don't, I don't like, I don't think Tim and I didn't get into this. We got into it because we figured we had come far enough that we needed to share what we, what we've learned. Cause that's the only way you get better. That's, that's why the, that's why, you know, AA works for so many alcoholics because they have, you know, they're, they have that whole program and that they, they base their lives around that program when they're cleaning up. And I think that that's a very valuable thing, Tim. I don't know what you were going to ask. I'm sorry. Well, no, it kind of, no, it's good. It goes, it kind of goes with what you were just saying. I was just going to ask Matt what his thoughts were on, you know, do you feel that there is a um, bigger place now or more of a need now for, for peers, like, a, you know, peer help and, and support and all that, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. Listen, and, and this is no way a knock on therapy and, and uh, I go to therapy, but, you know, sometimes it's so easy to say, you know it from a book, you don't know it from experience, right? You don't know what right. you, you might from a book understand what, what depression is and maybe you've experienced, but have you walked the walk? Have you recovered from that? I, I, I think it again, it's that that's the power of peers is that you're, it's not someone who's talking out of their butt. It's someone who's walked that journey. I mean, like, I, like I said before, you know, I want to follow people who have, who have trailed, who've blazed that path towards recovery because there are times and you're lost in that forest where you don't know where to go and and if someone has has forged a path i want to follow that path because it's someone who knows what i'm going through they might not know exactly what i'm going through but they know what struggle is and, and they know what it is to be knocked down and to get back up and that's what i would want to learn how do you get back up it's something we always keep learning and if you know whether you know it's 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 friends or whatever but peers is so important and, and you know NAMI at its heart is still a peer movement you know if you're taking a family course at NAMI it's being taught by a family member who is with lived experience if you're taking a peer class like peer-to-peer -peer, it's being taught by a peer with lived experience and, and I think that's such an important thing because you know someone might be have a man you know a PhD an MD but we're masters of our own experiences. We're experts in our own lived experience. And if we, something we say at NAMI all the time is that the greatest power we have as NAMI members is we get taught on how to use our pain and our experiences to help others. And that makes our pain and experiences a gift. So 
I think peers are incredibly important. You know, you need to help from someone who's been there. You know, it's and I think it's hand in hand. It's not one or the other. It's not peers versus professional. Therapy. Right. No. Yeah. 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 No. I, I I fully agree. You know, get uh, kind of what you were saying even earlier. Just you know, if there's help, get as much help as possible. You know, fill your tool belt up as much as you can. Yeah, that's another one of my favorite sayings. Use your toolbox. Yeah, that's Tim's sure. right there. Yeah, Tim's the tool man over there. <laughs> Timmy's so, the tool man. Yes, sir. Matt, thank you so much for being a part of this, man. Uh, yeah, thank an you. Amazing conversation. Oh, man. It's been, awesome. it's been an hour. I can't believe this. this is oh, like yeah, we're, not, we're not quite done yet. We're not quite no, done yet. No, but I mean, it's just flown by. And, and well, thank you for having this venue to have these conversations. And it's just so important. We, you know, the, the, it helps us. It, it helps us because, you know, this, I, I've found that being part of the peer movement has be, been one of the biggest benefits because I can help someone else and someone else can help me. And that's, and that's the joy of it all. That's like the joy of being a peer. And I don't care what kind of peer you are. You know, if you have an experience and you've lived through something, you, I think, and I've said this, I said this in my speech last year, and I say this all the time, that I've come through something, now I have a mandate on my birth certificate, just like my passport, I have a mandate that says, okay, you've come through it, now you need to help somebody else come through it. Yeah, I mean, listen, when you come through it, you come through it for a reason, and if you can use your experiences to help others, you're also helping yourself, I mean, we're just, you know, Dr. Tarn, our, our mutual friend Bobby today, and you know, talking about how telling his very painful story has helped him as much as it's helped anyone who's listened to the story. Oh, absolutely. And what he's done with that story and just how he, how it's just, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, amazing. So we always finish up the podcast and we have people on with three questions. So Tim, I'm going to let you ask the first question. So Matt, do you have a favorite or a least favorite word? Oh God, um, <laughs> I, I, I think that changes sometimes, but right now I'll, I'll say that my most favorite word is hope. Without hope you have nothing and, and, and to me that's my favorite word. Um, no, maybe it might be my least favorite word, I think. Okay. <laughs> Good ones, we like it. I like it, we all like hope. Hope is a very important thing, man. And without mm -hmm. it, you, without it, you don't get up the next day. That's the thing. And I you think know. waking up and getting out of bed is hopeful as it is. Right. And, and something that we say at be. NAMI all the time too, and it sounds cheesy. I say it all the time, but hope starts with you. And that's, you know, the hope you can bring to others or, or even helping yourself. You, you know, I say this too, you know, I, I, I talk about medication and, and me taking medication and that's a per and I'm not, Thing. Everyone who struggles with these things has to take medication, but this is what I do say about medication. Medication will get you 90% of the way there. It's up to you to get yourself over the finish line a lot of times. And, and again, you're your own hope in a lot of situations. So next question, cat, dog, or other? That's a great question. And it's really funny that you asked that. Uh, if you would have asked me that a year ago, I would have said dog. I'm a dog person, dog person. I was uh, in the city last year um, and visiting friends, and 
I was coming back on the train and my wife texted me a picture of this cat. And she said, think of a name, we're on the way home. So she went oh, out and you know, I always wanted a dog fought for the dog. And it, it's so funny, I, I even joke like biologically, I think I'm a dog person. Like I went to get allergy tests and, and I tested for like 23 out of the 25 things. I'm allergic to cats, I'm not allergic to dogs, but um, not too allergic thing because this cat that we got, Harriet is like my best friend. I call her my BFF, my best furry friend. And, and it's, I can't even imagine getting through this this uh, whole situation without her. And, and my wife's gonna hear this and totally make fun of me, but now I'm a cat person. This no, is another one of those. Dog. This is another one of those situations where you, you know, you say, why didn't we do this before, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love the cat. The cat has me totally wrapped around her. It's funny. Usually she sits right here during work. I'm surprised she's not sitting here. She hardly leaves <laughs> my side. Like we're, we're inseparable. That's because she's upstairs with Jessica. That's why. Probably. <laughs> Last question, Tim. So, Matt, if there was something that you you could do for mental health as a as a as a whole in general mental health if there was something that you could do or what would you like to see done if there was no restraints oh wow oh wow uh, it's cheating because it's really two things and maybe it's a little partially hand in hand I, I don't know not really but number one access giving everyone who needs mental health access to mental health uh, mental health help and, and you know so many people are struggling in silence it takes people 10 years to get to th you know get help to make help more accessible to increase mental health services and, and hand in hand in that normalize the conversation you know people shouldn't be ashamed of feeling no one should feel the way I felt through for too long in my life about having mental health issues and being ashamed of it. And we talk about stigma, it, it, it's not, it, I guess it's part of stigma, but just normalizing it that mental health challenges are a part of life. We're all gonna have them. Why are we afraid to talk about it? You know, normalize the conversation. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Try. Dude, thank you so much for taking part in this. Oh this man, this yeah, is man. great. Matt, thank oh. you so much. Oh, thank you guys. I love this. This is awesome. Thank you so, so much. What is coming up? What is coming yes. up? This. What is coming thank up? Thank you. I get to my, my shameless plug here. But That's right. Next, you can plug whatever you want here. Right. Plug off the mask. Plug whatever you want. Okay. So next week, I'm really excited. We have our annual education conference uh, on Friday and Saturday, April, October 23rd and 24th totally free to register. So like I just said, so many people don't have access to mental health services that we never want cost to be a prohibitive factor from people accessing this. And, and this year, it, it's definitely a different type of conference. You know, we're, we're tackling all these issues that people have been dealing with, you know, COVID, racial injustice, economy, all the, the, the big three-headed monster of our society today. And, and how do we recover from that? And, and the theme of this year's conference is coming together to create our future. You know, we don't want to go back to where we were. We want to move forward uh, and, and move forward and create the type of future that we want to see where these conversations are normalized, where there's more access to, to mental health care, 
So that's going to be a, a big part of the conference. You know, we have, you know, we're going to be looking at social determinants of mental health. How do we heal from this? We, we, you know, meditation, all these things. But we're also going to have workshops on, on putting tools in your tool belt into how, how do we build our future and create that future and, and very hands-on. Um, it's so important. And then showing hope and resiliency. I mean, our, our Friday night program, I was so excited that Will's performing as part of the our, our Friday night program. Yeah. It's a big thrill for you. It's a big thrill for us. Seeing that that joy in your face when you recorded that was Oh, Matt, you you have no idea that that was like thank I thank you for doing for giving that gift to Will. It's such it such a huge gift. Such and this a is huge the God's gift. honest truth. You know, I, I remember because when you and I first talked, uh, you know, and we, and we connected on on I am the highway and Chris Cornell, and like I remember the 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 um, last year the NAMI convention national convention was in Seattle. I walked past that mural and. I made sure to take a picture to send it to you. Remember? Yes, you did. Yeah, and you did. Because as it soon me. as I saw it, I thought of you. And and one of the things, the centerpiece of the conference is really, like I say, our celebration of hope and resiliency, and and we're honoring as leaders of mental health awareness, Lily Cornell Silver, Chris's daughter, uh, AJ Mendez, who is a former WWE Women's Champion, who has an incredible story of resilience, very similar to the one. Will and I told us she had a, a parent with severe mental illness, which led the family to being homeless. And then she developed her own mental illness and went on to become a champion and now a, a New York Times bestselling author. And then our third honoree, uh, Meta World Peace, the basketball player formerly known as Ron Artest, he has an incredible story too that shows what, what happens with adverse childhood experiences, ACEs, and, and how that impacts you throughout your life and he's been so brave in telling his story so you know that type of celebration of hope and resiliency and using both you know prominent public figures as well as our our, our the talent within our own community will and, and katie and megan and, and the people who are going to be performing our buddy sugar ray so you know th that's really exciting and then uh, on on saturday we're going to look at more specific mental health disorders and and news treatments for those two and all of it collected is, is so important but it's totally free you can attend as much or as little as you'd like i mean if you just want to come here we'll sing and, and hear from lily aj and meta that's totally okay you're going to get something out of it and 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 just totally free www.naminys.org um sign up we'd love to have you you know we really want to come together and create our future. And the only way we can do that is by having everyone in our community really come together and, and, and push it forward. Dude, that was awesome. That was so cool. Yeah, we can't say anything else on that. <laughs> no, that's that that's that's a wrap for that. Mic drop. Boom. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for being a part of this, man. It has uh -huh. been awesome. Well, thank you for having this to be a part of. This is great. Like, Absolutely. I feel so rejuvenated from these conversations. <laughs> Matt, if you, Matt, if you could, could you stay on, uh, like, yeah. just for a couple minutes? Because yeah, I'd yeah, like definitely. to. I just want to ask you something real quick. Yeah, after. yeah, of course. Cool. All right. Thank you so much, Matt, for being here. Until next week, be well. Be safe. Be a. a Bum. Um.